The most common diseases in the UK are well known to us. Perhaps we or a family member have experienced one or more of these and the impact of such diseases in our lives. The most common diseases are coronary heart disease, respiratory disease, stroke, cancer, chronic liver disease, then the most deprived areas of the United Kingdom, tuberculosis. These diseases have caused pain to the sufferers themselves, but also brought challenges to the families. In some cases, the sufferer has had to stop working, causing severe financial pressures on the family. In other cases, prolonged courses of treatment have left family members emotionally exhausted. In our studies of Christian discipleship, we are learning that Jesus, our Lord and Master, the one whom we follow, is Lord over all. Here in verses 24 to 34, we see that he is Lord over disease. The story that we're looking at this morning in our communion service is more than a miracle. It is also a description of salvation. The word healed in the last phrase, verse 34, is translated often in the New Testament as saved. This overlap between physical healing and salvation is intentional. In the gospel accounts of the healing miracles of Jesus, we have a depiction of salvation. They are, as it were, parables for us, a visible demonstration of being saved. Just as the deliverance of Israel from the land and bondage of Egypt is described in the Bible as redemption, and shows us insight into our redemption from the bondage and slavery of sin, as the verse in the WhatsApp this morning reminds us. So this miracle, described, describing this woman's healing as salvation, is intentional to give us an acted parable of our salvation. And as we come to communion today, we come informed by this miracle of what our Lord and Saviour has effected for us by his shed blood and broken body. What happens in the body of this sick person happens in the souls of sinners. The blind man recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 9, who was blind from his birth and then, by the power of Jesus, could see. That story is set in the context of Jesus claiming in chapter 8, verse 12 and 9, verse 5, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The healing of this blind man who was given this physical sight, is a parable, an illustration of Jesus bringing spiritual healing and salvation to our lives. And so here in verse 34, faith in Jesus brings saving to the body of this woman, just as our faith in Jesus brings salvation 
to our souls. And as we think of this miracle then, we're to think of our spiritual experience of salvation. We're to see this miracle in its intended depth and teaching. We're not to be content with a surface reading or understanding of the experience of this unnamed woman. But we're to delve deeper and grasp as we're meant to grasp the comforting message, the experience that we have known and are grateful to God for. This miracle is not just claiming that Jesus can heal our body. It is showing us that Jesus can heal and save our souls. The story of Jack and Jill going up the hill has no deeper meaning or Humpty Dumpty sitting on the wall and falling off. Those stories are not warnings about climbing up mountains. They're not warnings about sitting on bridges or on walls. There is no deeper meaning attached to those basic nursery rhymes. Their sole intention is to entertain little children and keep their attention for a time. But this story does have a deeper intended meaning. The closing word of this story is held to leave us thinking not only of physical healing, but of that healing which Jesus brings by his blood and broken body to our soul. And so there's three principles that we we want to draw out of this story that that we have uh, here today. Firstly, our our need of Jesus. Secondly, our experience of Jesus. And thirdly, our confession of Jesus. Think first of all of our need of Jesus. The main point here is that this woman was in a state of constant ceremonial uncleanness for 12 years. As catalogued by the Old Testament law of God through the nature of her sickness and that prolonged condition illustrates and symbolizes for us our uncleanness as sinners before the law of God the social standing of this woman is said in contrast to Jairus whom we thought of last week he is named he is rich he is famous This woman is unnamed. She is poor. She is timid and afraid. Jairus comes before the crowd and kneels down before everyone in the street in Capernaum. This woman comes up behind Jesus, uncertain of how she will be received, afraid of what others might think. But she comes to Jesus because of the deep need that she has. And so today you and I come with this awareness of our need of Jesus. She was driven by that consciousness of being unable to heal herself, that something desperately was wrong within her. And you and I come with that same consciousness to Jesus, 
But we are unable to heal ourselves. And in our hearts there is something that is desperately wrong. Church history is not forgotten. This woman, the Greek Orthodox Church calls her Bernice. The Coptic Latin churches called her Veronica. Eusebius, the 4th century historian, tells us that outside of her house in Caesarea Philippi, a monument was made. Uh, This depiction of a woman kneeling with her outstretched hand towards a figure who, who people said was Jesus. We have noted that in these short, snappy accounts in Mark's gospel, they are written to be remembered. Phrases perhaps are repeated, and in this case, we have seven participles piled up in verses 26 and 27, leading up to the main verb, touched. One commentator describes these seven participles as a dramatic volley of Greek participles. Look at verses 26 and 27, and I'll point out the seven participles to you. Had had, suffered much, spent all, no better, grew worse, had heard, came up. And here the author is is making us dwell on her need of Jesus. He's prolonging the moment when she was healed and he's keeping us focused on her desperate condition, on her fruitless efforts to heal herself. He's emphasizing her, our need of Jesus. The specific sickness of this woman is that she had a discharge of blood for 12 years. The disease was some form of chronic hemorrhaging in her womb. Such a disease is described at length in Leviticus 15 and in the Jewish Mishnah. In verse 29, a special word is used, disease or plague. The the word means whip, lash, scourge. The term combines the physical torment and emotional shame and pain which this woman's illness brought her. Her problem meant that she remained unclean before the Old Testament law for these 12 years. She couldn't go into the temple. She had to live separate from her community. Anyone who came into physical contact with her was unclean until the evening. She was shunned by people. She had spent all that she had. She was not improved in her condition. She was in this physical and emotional place of torment. Her need of Jesus. The focus is on Matt Hancock these days, isn't it? That's the particular sinner in our nation that's been targeted at this time. It's not one day that the focus has been on Matt. It will be on for a prolonged time. He will be making the headlines for a number of days in this week. And the nation is lingering over 
his failings. The writer does that just here by using these seven participles. It holds us, it pauses us, it makes us dwell on this woman's need for Jesus. As we come to communion in these moments, let us be reminded of our need of Jesus. We have original sin. We have actual sin. We have sins of thought, sins of words, sins of deeds. One principle that we are to to pull out from this miracle is our need of Jesus. One of the most helpful books written within the history of the church that, that aids us in this contemplation and study of our inward fallenness is the sixth volume, of course, that you, that you know by John Owen. I, I, I was speaking to a minister last week just about this sixth volume in which John Owen deals with indwelling sin, temptation to sin, and the mortification of sin, those three aspects, a hundred pages on each. And this particular minister with a, a sharp intake of breath says to me, you don't want to read that book too often. But maybe we do. And, and this story is, is emphasizing by these seven Greek participles how important it is to, to recognize and grasp our need of Jesus. As we come to communion today, we're reminded that we need saving. We can't save ourselves. We're unclean before the law of God. But secondly, the second principle from this story is our experience of Jesus. The experience of a disciple is outlined here in the 27th verse by the the three verbs that are used of this woman. She heard, she came, she touched. These verbs are are used of the experience of discipleship, the experience of someone becoming a Christian. We hear the gospel. We come to Jesus. We believe in him. So this woman, an example for us, a parable for us of salvation, deliberately is described in this way. She heard. She came, she touched the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Her hearing perhaps was defective. It was perhaps mixed with a a range of, of superstition, thoughts of magic about Jesus. This was something common in her time. Alexander the Great had been mobbed by crowds. They wanted to touch his hands, his knees, his garments in the hopes that this great warrior would bring special powers or healing to them. Some dignitaries claimed that their authority was communicated to their garments so that anyone who touched their garments would be helped in their problems and trials. So perhaps in this woman's hearing about Jesus and about his miracles, there was this blend of truth and error that was there, but she heard. And that hearing was translated in her experience 
as it is to be in our experience into action. She saw this fit between Jesus and her need. And she came, verse 27 says, to him. She moved from her and with her need and weakness to the Savior. She came to him and she touched his garment, probably the tassels uh, that were at the base of uh, an Orthodox Jew's garments, reminding them of the law of God and redemption from Egypt. She came, having heard, and she touched the garments of Jesus. Even with her defective understanding, even with perhaps her weak and trembling faith, she came. And we read in verse 30 that she was healed. That power came out of Jesus to heal her. He acted in love and compassion and grace and mercy to her. This woman for over 12 years had experienced shame and isolation and pain and searching and disappointment and longing and rejection and hope and frustration in a moment. All of that was gone. And by the power of Jesus, she was healed, delivered, freed from all of that. The Northern Ireland resolution to the protocol issues has been set on the table. Lawyers are scrutinizing it. Parties have opinions about it. It is a a document, it is an effort which will not please all peoples. It maybe doesn't please you, but it is a real and a sincere attempt by the Prime Minister to resolve this matter. As we come to communion today, just like this woman, we can never believe perfectly. There will always be weaknesses and defects in our faith, but it's not about our faith. It's about Jesus' grace and love and mercy. Perhaps we have doubts about our personal salvation, not that Jesus is the only Savior, but that Jesus is my Savior. Perhaps we have a a limited and truncated understanding of Jesus' person. Perhaps we have a minimalistic view of the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. All of us come with imperfect faith. But we come with real faith, with sincere faith, acknowledging that we cannot save ourselves but that Jesus Christ can and has promised that all who come to him will be saved. Our experience of Jesus, she heard, she came, she touched the Redeemer. And thirdly, our confession of Jesus Jesus asked that strange question, strange to us, perhaps strange to the disciples in verse 30. Who touched me? To the disciples, this, this question, it seemed, seemed pointless. The crowds were, 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 were mobbing him as, as they often did. 
They were impatient with Jesus standing and asking this question. Sure, that little girl of 12 was dying up in Jairus' house. They need to get on with the day's business. They need to move on. But Jesus stops and asks this question. Who touched me? And it emphasizes that while many people had been touching Jesus and bumping into Jesus because of the the close proximity of this crowd, this woman came to Jesus by faith. William Lane comments, involved in this situation was not a unilateral event, that is the woman believing in Jesus, but a mutual event in which she exercised faith and Jesus in response exercised power and love. Jesus won't let her hide in the background. Perhaps she did have a superstitious faith. Perhaps she was motivated partially by by a sense of, of magic that if she touched the garments of Jesus, like many sought to touch Alexander the Great's clothing, there would be some blessing coming to her. And Jesus pulls her out and corrects and refines and deepens and advances her faith. Allows her to tell her story before the crowd. And allows him to show that he, the Son of God, in grace and mercy, healed her and will heal and save anyone who comes to him in faith. She was afraid, the text says, afraid that the crowds might might rumble her and and see that this woman who was meant to be in isolation was among them, afraid that perhaps Jesus would rebuke her for breaking the Old Testament regulations. But instead, he welcomed her, blessed her, stopped in his busy experience to converse with her and send her home with his blessing. The bidders for Manchester United will be revealed soon. There's been a lot of discussions in the background and rumours in the papers. But the bidders will be publicly known shortly. And Jesus doesn't just want us to be committed disciples. He wants us to be confessing disciples. He wants that faith that he's placed within us to be broadcast and spoken of and told to others. And we're to obey him in doing it, not only out of duty, but because it exalts him. What a moment! When that despised, rejected, unnamed woman spoke to the crowd, not just about her great need and prolonged period of suffering, but of the momentary power of Jesus. What glory fell on the head of Jesus from this humble, feeble witness. And so you and I 
are left in this world to exalt our Savior and to tell others of what he has done for us. Our need of Jesus, then, is our first principle from this miracle. Let us linger over our need of Jesus. Let us know the darkness and depths of our heart. Let us recognize our general and our specific sinfulness as we come to communion today. Our experience of Jesus models this woman, doesn't it? We have heard. We have come. We have touched the Redeemer in faith. Our confession of Jesus, taking communion today, in this visible, in this tangible action of lifting the bread, of holding the cup, and then of appropriating it into ourselves, it is a confession, is a witness that Jesus is our Savior, the only Savior, the divinely appointed Redeemer.